The Gospel according to John, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. One verse from that reading, verse 46. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. What do we come and see? What did they come and see? As I thought of this, I reflected on what is it to simply go and see something you're unfamiliar with. One of the things that I got to do when I used to teach was very rarely I would be asked to teach the world religions class, which was sort of an absurd class. It was two credits for the world's religions. Um, and I... That was not my specialty at all, but sometimes they needed a warm body, and I needed the classes. So I would teach it, and it was built by someone else who said, you know, this class is absurd. So instead of just giving you a little bit of data about each religious tradition, instead let's make this affective. And instead of learning things, let's experience some things. And so they brought in guest speakers from different religious traditions. But the real thing they did was students were required to go to at least one worship experience in a religion that was not their own. And students would usually be rather nervous about this, especially those who were part of religious tradition, were really nervous. And we'd talk to them and say, well, What is it you're concerned about? Are you concerned that this will, you know, somehow be harmful to you? And they'd get down to, well, you know, I guess what I'm concerned is, what if I believe something? And they would almost always do it, and they'd almost always be surprised. And what surprised them was that they enjoyed it. They had often no background in those traditions, but they would go and they'd say, 
This is far more usual than I thought. This was something I could, in fact, relate with. And, and there were some who didn't have that experience, but many, many did. And then later in the history of the school, the class I taught by far the most was the introduction to the New Testament or the Old Testament, and we started to suggest them do the same thing. Go to the university chapel two times during the course of your class here. And that tells you something about what chapel attendance had become, that we had to assign that. But the... Uh, the students who would go, many of whom with absolutely no religious background, they were doing this for a requirement and nothing else, would go and again be surprised that there was something here for them. But it wasn't because it was so amazing and they were blown away by the wonder of it all. It instead was because of the humanity of it. It felt so real and so ordinary. And they discovered there was something here maybe I appreciate. They did not come there and say, now I'm ready to say, yes, absolutely, I believe this wholeheartedly. But sometimes even in the papers they had to write, they'd say, I might even go back. Come and see. You never know what you might find. For example, if you were to finally come into a worship service, well, they often are not prim and pure and everything you'd ever dream of and imagine in your mind. Instead, it's a very human experience. But if you could just come and see, you might, for example, see that the lead pastor who was going to preach today lives in the South Hills and couldn't make it, and the associate had about an hour and a half to put together a sermon. What you find if you come and see the real lives of people, the real lives where God lives, we come and see. And in that verse, it said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This little phrase, by the way, gets kind of becomes notorious. It sort of jokes are made about it that Nazareth was this kind of rural space nobody wanted to live in. I'm not sure. I mean, that's probably true to some extent. But I think there's something more specific said. Well, where do good things come from? Well, I think we, just like they, hesitate to say just out of the ordinary. Instead, we want good to come from God, to come from on high. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus even says, well, anything, that there's nothing good except which come, no one is good but God alone. And for them, where was God alone? In Jerusalem, in the temple. So it might not have been so much that Nazareth was this embarrassing little town as much that it simply was not where we thought God was. In fact, they were up there in the Galilee. And up in the Galilee, they did not have a lot of positive experience religiously. This is an area that the historian Josephus tells us there had been a whole bunch of messianic movements in the first century, but not like the one Jesus had. These were kind of rabble-rousers trying to start a revolt and declaring themselves Messiah. It did not endear 
the large population. We only know their names. We don't know anything about them. I don't think they were very important. So could there be something good coming from that area? Good is what comes from the temple where Zion is, where God is, his name has dwells and comes to us where we live. And the answer, come and see. Maybe there's something that could surprise you. Maybe it turns out that right here where you are, there is something that's good. Something that reflects God alone. Just come and see. And it turns out with the whole of Jesus' ministry, it's entirely centered on this. Come and see. Come to the place where Jesus is, where other humans are. Right where you are. In the Galilee. Over where John was baptizing up in the Galilee, in the Jordan, saying, repent, believe in the good news, and declaring forgiveness of sin. There was all kinds of forgiveness of sin in Second Temple Judaism, but not there. It was in the temple. But here, where you are, here, there is something good. Come and see. And then Jesus says, you will see greater things than this. And of course, what he's talking about here is kind of what we might call a little bit of a parlor trick. That is, Jesus was able to say what he was doing right before he came. And while that might be exciting, Jesus says, you'll see greater things than these. But I wonder, what are those greater things? Are they the other miracles Jesus does in the Gospel of John, the signs Jesus does, these wonder works? I don't think so. In the Gospel of John in chapter 6, after Jesus has been doing some of these wonderful things, he wants to make very clear to all of those following that, you know, that's not what this is really about. And he says, unless you gnaw upon my flesh and drink down my blood, you can have no part of me, and a bunch of people leave. They weren't real impressed with that. They couldn't see that as greater things than these. But the greater things than these, what do they see? What is Philip and Nathaniel, what are they going to see? Well, they're really going to see is their own experience in their own lives. Just like the students that I had who were not impressed by anything wonderful or amazing, they were impressed with the ordinary and the way it spoke to where they were. And unless we are said miracle workers, how does that relate to us? How does it relate to us to say, come and see, and you who get to go and follow Jesus along in his earthly ministry, we don't get to do that. Unless what we really come and see is the community together. The way God works in our lives every day. The way we receive grace on the cross. And the word grace, by the way, is just a word for gift. There was nothing especially spiritual about it in the first century. But just says this is a very human Jesus giving you a very ordinary thing through the very ordinary experience of death. And then we see angels ascending 
and descending. The heavens opened. But where do we see it? Maybe not so much in this unique experience only for Messiah, but in every last one of our lives in after death comes resurrection. The heavens being open, saying there is no division between God and humans anymore. Just as, by the way, was expressed in that temple. The curtain has been torn in two. And now, right where you are, is where heavens have been opened, where angels are ascending and descending, where the cross and the resurrection live in you and your own baptismal identity. There, come and see. And what you find is not a bunch of external things, but instead internal things. Who am I before God? Who am I before one another? How is God continuing to work in me in ways I could not have expected? Come and see yourself, because there's something worth seeing there. Come into our space where God is alive and we have something worth seeing because we are indeed means of grace to one another. We in our sanctuaries, in our homes, and even in every space where we live, even by ourselves, we express God's grace to one another. There, we can come and see. Amen.